We're back, folks, for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. And a, a time in the season which just felt inevitable. We knew it was going to come with these COVID-impacted times that uh, you know, there is likely to be a major interruption to the season, uh, whether it was at a, as a league level or uh, Michigan individually, and it turns out to be Michigan individually. Joining me as he does every week to break down all aspects of the Michigan basketball program, a guy who wore the uniform and was a talented player for the Wolverines back in the early 80s before becoming a first-round draft pick, and now NBA commentary over on Fox Sports Detroit covering the Pistons and, of course, college basketball for an array of outlets. His name is Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you? Sam, I'm doing really well. And um, I, I, I do want to talk about the, the, the quarantine, about the pause. Um, but first, I want to start off by just saying how immensely proud I am of this Michigan basketball team. Um, I'm not in a bad mood that they're not playing for two weeks. As a matter of fact, I, I, um, I'm, just, I'm just really excited about the potential and what we've had a chance to watch so far. This Michigan team represents all that's good and, and special in the sports world. They, they have so many valuable traits. And I, I keep thinking, you know, the reason that businesses try to recruit and hire athletes is, is all the things and the qualities that this Michigan team stands for. They're hardworking. Think about the fact that they came back better collectively. And, and it was not an easy environment this summer. So they had to deal with a lot of adversity and, and so many teams and players and programs around the country, we've seen them collapse under the pressure. The, the isolation is devastating. And, and this team is 13 and one, they're number four in the nation. They're a number one seed right now. And they also have great harmony. Sam, have you ever seen a Michigan team in any sport that is better connected with their bench. I don't think I have. No, it is. You can see the the chemistry and the cohesion of this team, uh, like you said, by watching how connected they are as a unit on the bench, how supportive they are. I uh, liken them to the Maze Rage, except the Maze Rage is, you know, the team, and they have to be. And I, you know, I think teams have had to find ways in order to generate the emotion that they normally draw from the crowd, and it hasn't just. You know, it doesn't seem like it's taken that much effort from Michigan. I'm not making it sound like it's not a big deal, but it, it just seems to come naturally to these guys because they really like one another. But, you know, obviously in these times, I know you said, hey, look, you're not angry uh, about the decision because you understand the decision, as do I. I I also, though, understand the frustration that a lot of people feel. I definitely understand the frustration of, of the student-athletes. But it's a it's a situation where Michigan really didn't have there was no other decision to make. If the, right. if the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services comes to you uh, and recommend recommends you shut down for a couple of weeks because a new, more infectious strain of the virus, they say up to 50 percent more infectious, more transmissible. Uh, if they come to you and say that and, and it's been detected in your in, in your student athlete environment, if you don't shut down, Tim, let's let's think about how that plays out. Even if you aren't looking at this from the standpoint of health and welfare of the student athlete, which I believe Michigan is most concerned about, if you're thinking about it from the standpoint of PR or liability, can you imagine if Michigan had ignored, and I'm using air quotes, if they had ignored that recommendation, they would have been exposed to all kind of negative press and all kind of lawsuits as a result. There was no other decision to make. I agree. I'm not mad or upset 
at the pause at all. Um, I am all about the player safety. Now, I hope this doesn't sound disingenuous. It doesn't make sense to me that Michigan State is playing Rutgers with a recently tested positive player and coach, and Michigan has had no positives, and they're shut down for two years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, well, I got to transition. I- <laughs> no, but no, but look, I, I think I think it's an important distinction to make. Look, it's not like Michigan hasn't had positives. Uh, you know, there have been positives across the athletic campus. There's positive on the Michigan women's basketball team, and they still played. It's not a matter of there just being a positive. It's a matter of this strain of the virus being detected now in the student-athlete environment. I think they said, some, what, five cases or so they've, they've detected. And all of these procedures and protocols that have been put in place were put in place for a strain of the virus that's not as infectious as the one that we're talking about here. So the idea that, hey, you could be – and I'm saying, not saying this would be the case, but the idea that you could be responsible – for an outbreak. That's certainly how it would be depicted in the media. That's certainly how, from a liability standpoint, the kind of exposure you would be exposing yourself to. There was really no other decision to make. You have an opportunity here for this strain with this quarantine to completely eliminate it from the environment for a time, at least. And then also to get a better understanding of if your protocols that you have in place are effective enough to mitigate this risk to the level that is acceptable for you to play. Uh, again, it's a, a different set of – I don't know what strain – if Michigan State has this strain of the virus that they've been dealing with. But back to your point about Michigan, Michigan has been very, very vigilant in staying up to date and up to speed on all of the different science that is in, impacting this pandemic. And I think they're applying that right now. All right, let me transition back to the Tim that isn't mad. Um, so, so let me say this, I'm looking at this on the bright side. Okay. I'm going to make an argument for you that this is actually an advantage to take a two week pause. It's not a good thing. Okay. Sell that to me. Sell that to me. Okay. So for the next 14 days, some really good things can happen. Eli Brooks is going to rest his foot and he's going to come back a hundred percent and ready to go. Okay. Hunter Dickinson's going to take a deep breath. And I don't know if he hit the rookie wall. It's possible. I think more of it was the defenses, but he's going to come back rejuvenated and he's going to have learned a lot from the last three games. And the big 10 race is going to be really interesting because it looks to me like Michigan is not going to play till February 19th. And that game would be at home against Illinois. So in the meantime, here's what's going to happen right now. Michigan is up a game and a half on Iowa. Okay, Iowa just lost at home to Indiana. So Iowa goes at Illinois. Then they have to play Michigan State, Ohio State at Indiana. I'm convinced Iowa will lose two of those games. That means Iowa would have four losses. Okay, let me move on. Wisconsin, they've got three losses already in the Big Ten. They have to play at Maryland, at Penn State. I think they'll lose one of those games. That means Wisconsin, just like Iowa, would have four losses. Okay, the third contender, Illinois, they've already got three losses in the Big Ten. They play Iowa at Indiana, Wisconsin. I think they'll lose one, possibly two. That means that Illinois will have at least four losses. So when Michigan returns February 11th, they'll have a three game lead in the loss column and only seven games on their current schedule. Now, I would assume they will try to add one game and and there's only one spot. I think it's. 
I think it's the uh, it's the middle of uh, the like the 23rd or 24th. They've got a Wednesday off. There probably will be a game. There will probably be Michigan State or 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 possibly Penn State. And if if that in fact is the case, Michigan is in an unbelievably good position to win the Big Ten championship. Yeah, I think the the Eli Brooks point is a great one. You were talked about that last week. The the need to protect Eli, uh, the impact that he. The impact that would be mitigated if he's not 100% down the stretch here, you have an opportunity to do that. I think this is around the time where normally you talk about the freshman hitting the hitting the proverbial wall, right? And so now right. you have a chance for some mental decompression for a guy like Hunter Dickinson uh, to kind of gather himself at all of the attention that he's been receiving on the court. So I think it's helpful there. I think it's helpful for a guy like Franz Wagner, and I'm curious as we get ready to start talking about Purdue here coming up. You know, I have marveled at how he has his game has evolved to fit the need. But I just felt like in that Purdue game, and I'm not calling it a pattern, but it just made it seem like, hey, this is a good time for him to be able to have a mental break. It's the first time that I really felt like his emotion knocked him off kilter. His emotion took him out of his game. Uh, so there's there's a mental part of this as well. Kudos to Michigan for being able to play over and through that. They've every single uh, adversity that they faced this year, they've been able to overcome. And no doubt they would have been able to overcome this one. But I think if we're looking glass half full, I think it's a convenient time for him too to kind of mentally readjust. Yeah, well said. And I am one of my all-time heroes in basketball is the great coach Hubie Brown. And I um I had an opportunity when I was playing for the Knicks to have lunch with him. And I knew I wanted to go into broadcasting. And we we talked about so many parts of coaching and the psychology of the game. And one of the things that he said is when a player gets a technical foul, and I know Franz did not get a technical, but he said when a player gets a technical, you can look at their box score and they're having frustration or disappointment mm-hmm. or anxiety or stress that leads directly to it. And, and I was thinking long and hard watching Franz. He walked up into the stands. He was a little bit pouty. He wanted to be by himself. I totally get that. But I would imagine it had very little to do with basketball. Mm-hmm. I think that these players are dealing with so much isolation and mental wellness is such a massively important topic today that, that these players are, are under so much stress. And it's a different stress than walking into Mackey Arena when it's sold out and they're yelling and screaming and the student section is cursing at you and saying things about your family members. This is, this is a whole different type of stress that the players are dealing with. And so I totally get it. And, and to see him melt down a little bit, I thought was beautiful because – if you leave that inside of you, it's a pressure cooker. And and that's when you really, really blow off steam. And so I, I just get the sense that Franz was surrounded by a, a program that all has his back. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just kind of a fun thing to see. Oh, they were able to pick up their teammate. I mean, and, and Juwan was <laughs> Juwan was non plus by it. He said, Okay, you not you know have it together today? Okay, young fella. You know, take a seat. We'll we'll handle it from here. It's kind of how it looked, <laughs> kind of how it looked to me. And they yep. and they went out there and handled it right. So uh, this is one of the things to marvel at with this team. Uh, it, it it's it doesn't it's not the same guy all the time. How many teams do you look at across the country where you could say, hey, their best pro prospect? You take them out of the game, 
and they'll still blow out the opponent. How many teams can you take their senior captain out of the game and they still blow you out? How many teams can you take out their their go-to guy, their leading scorer, take him out of the game, and they still blow you out? And Michigan has done all three of those teams this year. You take Franz out of the game, they've blown teams out. You take Zay out of the game, they've blown teams out. You take Hunter Dickinson out of the game, they've blown teams out. It's one of the reasons why I'm so bullish that they can beat you in more than one way with more than one guy, and adversity is something that they've grown from throughout this season. Yeah, Sam, earlier in the year, it might have been our, our preseason discussion, I said that one of the things that I believe Michigan will be really good at is balance. And I made the prediction that that six Michigan Wolverines will lead the team in scoring at some point. And I'd like to follow back up and see, you know, how, how we're doing on that. I think it's at four right now. Um, but I but I do think that that it's so unique that that there have been games that Hunter Dickinson is is the best player in the Big Ten. And they have the unique ability to know who the go-to guy is in that game. And they force feed the ball and they keep right. going to him. And there are other games that Isaiah has been hot. And and they, they keep finding him. They'll make the extra pass to make sure he's getting his touches. Franz has had his game. Shondi's had his. I just think that's so unique because a team that is selfless they 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 understand the psychology of the game. Who's the hot score? Who needs the ball? Because we want to win this game. And man, it seems like Purdue was a long time ago, doesn't it? You know, it does, Tim. Uh, and and it does, and it doesn't, <laughs> because I just feel like uh, you know, something that I, I just say about basketball in general, and I guess it might apply to all sports, but I definitely say it about basketball. It just uh, maybe I say it so often that it feels like it was just yesterday that I said it about the Purdue game. You know, defense travels. This team is a locked-in defensive unit, and it was a game uh, against Purdue where they were solid offensively. I mean, Isaiah had a had a really good game, twenty-two points. I think he was twenty-two and ten. Shot a good percentage. I believe he was like three for five for three or, or something like that. Got to the free throw line. Uh, Eli. Uh, was was a a positive offensive presence, but they weren't very efficient outside of those guys. I think they wound up shooting like forty four percent from the field. We've seen them play a lot better offensively, is the point. But defensively, they went into Purdue's house and smothered them, thirty percent from the field. They were anemic from three point range. Not like they're a great three point shooting team anyway. But they destroyed. They blew Purdue up defensively. And I want to make it obviously. Stefanovic didn't play. That's a factor. But, man, I, Matt Painter couldn't have expected for his team to be stymied that much, that mightily, the way Michigan did. It was impressive. It was from start to finish. It was businesslike. Uh, they were very confident. And, and I remember before the game, uh, he said, who's going to win? And I said, I think, you know, Michigan will win. I think it'll be, you know, single digits. Um, and I had somebody say, well, you know, you were wrong. You said it was going to, you know, it was going to be single digits and it was by 17. I said, <laughs> okay, come on now. Like, like I'm not going to say, yeah, Michigan's going to Mackey and they're going to blow them out by 17 points. Like nobody makes that prediction. Right. Um, especially because Purdue is undefeated at home in the big 10. Plus they won at Ohio state at Michigan state at Indiana. They were the hottest team in the big 10. So I'm sorry. I was wrong. They didn't blow them out. <laughs> but, but what, what I, um, what I started doing is I, 
I like to look at numbers after the game and try to figure out a, a pattern on why a team won. But there's really only two numbers that you have to look at, 53 points and 31% from the field. That, that's, that's the equivalent of a pitcher going out and throwing a shutout. Mm-hmm. And, and defensively, Trevion Williams, 13 shots. That's how many he missed. And even though Zach Eady seemed like he was very impactful, he had four points. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is just a better team taking care of business. And, and if you look at the, the Big Ten numbers, number one in defensive rebounds, that, that's, that's something that surprised me a little bit because historically Michigan has not been a great defensive rebounding team. And when you've got teams that are loaded with offensive players, to get them on the glass is really impressive. They're number one in block shots. That's, that's pretty darn good. And I think Franz has really surprised everybody with that. Um, they're number one in holding their opponents to 37% from the field. Those are major defensive categories, defensive rebounding blocks and opponent field goal percentage. And they are right there in all three at number one. That, that, that's the reason they're good. They're number one in, in a lot of offensive categories too, but those are the ones that, that really indicate that this team is special. Yeah, and you look at the, the way they've run roughshod over the Big Ten. I mean, I had to go back and – you know, I wanted to really get a feel for, you know, it's, man, it's, what do the what do the margins say? I mean, the last five victories, they've averaged beating those teams by twenty one points, Tim. Twenty one points. But even before <laughs> even before they started, they went on this run where they're beating teams, you know, starting with the you know, starting with the the um the Northwestern game. That was the first game where they just started just blowing teams out. But even before that, the the Nebraska and Maryland games, both of those games were by 11 points, and they played one game in the Big Ten that was single digits, and that was the opener against Penn State. Of course, there was the loss to Minnesota. Point is, it hasn't been close. Even before they started you know, winning by 21, they were still winning by double digits. And you, you keep asking yourself, can they keep this up? Can they maintain this level of play? I keep coming back to the defense. Defense is the thing that is the most controllable. It's the most controllable thing in basketball. Your shot's gonna be off, right? I mean, it's the you know you they may maybe you just you just aren't clicking offensively together. Defense when you're locked in, when you're a great defensive team, that is something that you can count on night in and night out. And this team has it. Well, maybe the the number one most important skill. And when people think of skill, they think of shooting and passing and dribbling. I, I count energy as a skill. I think that that being able to bring great effort and consistency with with your with your, your you know your motor is it is it something where you you know sometimes it takes you six eight ten minutes to really get going. We've seen this team get off to fast starts, and there there might be times that the game is still close because they just miss shots. But on the defensive end, they come out pretty dialed in every time. And and when when you you look at the postponed games, Indiana at Northwestern, Michigan State, you would have to say that in all three of those games, even though I call it a possible you know advantage that they're going to get a chance to have some time off in the middle of the season, all three of those games, they would have been double-digit favorites. Mm-hmm. No doubt, no doubt. And it's it's the flip side of what you said about, hey, Michigan can get better from this, that, hey, you got Eli is able to heal his foot. You got the, the mental 
uh, the mental break and recovery. The other side of it, Tim, is they're on a roll, man. And and you, you worry about can they maintain that during the pause. I mean, it's one thing to to maintain conditioning. As you know, John Sanderson has some individual recommendation for each guy about how he can keep his conditioning up during the pause. You know that's going on. So I, I expect the guys to not come back, uh, you know, and just com- be completely not in, in basketball condition. But the sharpness with which they play, uh, you know, to have two weeks in the middle of the season, there has to be some level of, of concern that, man, can they come back as sharp as they were when they left off? So I, I did a lot of thinking about this because it's a, it's a very unique team that can stay on a hot streak for three months. And right now, Michigan is 13-1. and one. And so you'd have to say that, that since the start of the season, Michigan has been on a hot streak. And so rather than feel like, oh, you know, they're going to lose all of their momentum, I think it's better to take a look and say, okay, they're going to take a little break, and now their job is to get on another hot streak. We know that they can do it. We know they're capable because they've, they've just accomplished it. How long will it take for them to get back into that feel-good zone? And I think that they're poised to do it really quick. And and I know that the the um, the health and human services or whoever shut them down, uh, they they said, yeah, you've got to stay in your your apartment for two weeks. I think that's been relaxed, and yeah. I think that you will find it relaxed even more. And and all this team needs to do is to be able to get everybody in the gym with a coach, run sprints, get up shots. Maybe it gets to the point where they transition to some one-on-one. You know, you get in the weight room. They they don't have to lose a lot. And I'm not saying that that when they take on Illinois that they're going to have their A game, but I think it'll be pretty quick for them to get back into to championship mode. Yeah, one of the things that I, you know, I talked to the um, hockey coach, Mel Pearson, and he he talked about his his team, uh, and they were told, yeah, you can as long as you practice social distancing, um, you, you you maybe get together in in you know a a pod of two, like a two man team, where you practice social distance, and it's the same couple of guys. Uh, all the time, and you can get out, you can get some conditioning, uh, especially outside. And so his team has been, he said, hockey players don't like to run, but they've been they've been out running and, and keeping their wind, keeping, staying in, in hockey condition. You got to believe that basketball and the other sports, too, are doing some similar things until they're given some sort of directive where they can, you know, get together in a, in a larger group. But I, if a team can do it, Tim, which is, I think, the main point, that you're getting that if a team can do it, this team has the I, I think the maturity, the hunger, the talent, the leadership to be able to deal with the pause like this and to come back and pick up right where they left off. Well, I've been watching the NBA really close, and particularly the teams that have come off of a a several several postponed game streak. Um, they've been quarantined for a while, and and the players to me look pretty darn good. Like I watched Villanova. Um, they were quarantined starting December 23rd. Um, I watched St. Louis last night against Dayton. They ended up losing, but I, I just, I felt like the players looked like they were in good shape. They were strong. They, they, I didn't really notice a big drop off and maybe the most important factor in how a team is able to, to not play games, but still stay strong. 
more so than the conditioning and the practices, I think it has to do with leadership. And, and if you've got those good veteran guys that have been there, that they've seen a lot, that they've done a lot, and I'll put Mike Smith and Shondi Brown on that list. Th- those are veteran guys that you can trust. I, I do have great confidence that Michigan will come back off of this and be ready to play against Illinois. Yeah, as do I, as do I. And it helps when you have a, a terrific staff leading the way. Of course, Juwan Howard flanked by a, a an outstanding contingent of assistant coaches that he is quick to praise for offering, uh, you know, just an outstanding, outstanding, uh, you know, coaching sort of direction from them as well. Uh, and we are going to have a great opportunity to tap into that knowledge and support. We'll get to this week's guest on the other side here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. And we are back here, folks, on the Michigan Basketball Insider with this week's guest. I've been knowing this dude from his days back at Western Michigan, a sharp shooting guard. Actually came and beat Michigan. But he came to the good side. <laughs> came to the good side to be uh, a coach here at the University of Michigan. Outstanding recruiter. Number one recruiter in the country, according to 24-7 Sports, helping to put together great classes. Coach up an outstanding team, and he's with us again here on the Michigan Basketball Insider talking about Sadi Washington. Sadi, how are you? I'm doing great, Sam. Tim, how are you guys doing? Really well, and and we're um, we're so proud of this team and the job that you guys have done. And I um I I look at this pause, and and I'm imagining February 14th you play at home against Illinois. So as coaches, how do you keep the conditioning up? And and what what do you do to keep your guys sharp? Well, I, you know, I, I think, you know, in some ways it feels like how we were back in the summer where, you know, guys are just exercising a lot of discipline and, and doing what we can to make the best use at home. Um, obviously, we can't be in the facility training and working out. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that this whole pandemic thing has has taught every one of us is how to be efficient you know in our space and I think that that's you know what we've challenged um, not only ourselves as a staff but also our players as well so I, I like to look at things from an optimistic positive view and right now you're 13 and one and you could possibly have a three game lead in the loss column when you return. <laughs> is it possible that with resting some of your injured guys and your young guys, is it possible this could be a positive from a big Ten championship standpoint? Well, I guess that is, that is remains to be seen because uh, eventually we're going to have to get back out there and play some games too. And, you know, as we all know that the big 10 is, is at its best right now. And so, um, our our focus is just controlling what we can control, and you know whenever we get the green light to 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 press play again, whomever that opponent is going to be, that's who we're going to prepare for. You know, Sadi, I'm I'm curious what your message to the to the team was because look, re- regardless of of you know how you feel about the necessity of the decision, I'm sure you have varying opinion, opinions about that within the team. Regardless of which side of that they fall on, they all have to be frustrated. They're they're rolling, things are going well on the court. What was your message as a staff to the guys about managing frustration and disappointment while they're while this pause is going on and staying focused on 
the things they need to stay, stay focused on to come back and be sharp like you want them to be? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, you know, from the top, you know, Coach Jawan's message was pretty clear. Like, everybody, and this included the staff as well, is like, look, we have to stay ready so we don't have to get ready. So, you know, from a staff perspective, we're deep into our scouts, you know, for the remaining opponents we have on our Big Ten schedule. Um, our guys, you know, are working closely with with Sandman and, and Alex Wong in terms of, you know, preparing, you know, from a physical standpoint. But the one thing I'm proud of our guys that they've done, you know, th- consistently throughout the years being plugged in and in tune to, you know, our game plan and our scouting report. So I think from a from a mental standpoint in terms of what we would need to do to prepare for games, you know, I think we will stay plugged in. Um, you know, obviously mental health is, is a big deal and making sure, um, you know, guys are, are, are good there. So just checking up on one another, making sure we're all right. Again, very similar to a lot of the things that we did, you know, over the summer and to, to get to the point that we're at now. So, you know, we got a really mature team. Um, these guys are focused and, um, you know, what we do know is nobody's going to feel sorry for us. You know, we're in a in a state of time where, you know, at, at some point or another and for whatever reason, um, many others have have paused. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, when it is time for us to get back out on the floor, um, I'm confident that our guys will be excited and, and really motivated to to really pick up where we left off. You know, you said something there, you know, guy, you, you're deep into your into your scouts already. And I, I've heard many a coach and commentator say, man, the Big Ten is the best scouted league in the country. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. coaches do an outstanding job of that. So I to to say that the attention, the detail for your team is high is is, is something that would be expected. But still, I, even with that, Sadi, if you could take us inside to the defensive improvement of this team. How much of that is personnel? Because you guys are exceptional, top defensive team in the league. How much of that is personnel driven? How much of that is Juwan, who is a defensive specialist, his second year in the league and having an understanding of the league now? I mean, can you kind of take us into the evolution of being the kind of defensive team you guys are this year? Man, you know, that's a great question, and I, I think it's all of the above. You know, I think Coach Juwan, you know, he's really into the details of both sides of the ball. And, you know, coming from the heat where he spent a lot of time, you know, a lot of his focus on the defensive side, um, you know, I think, again, for him, uh, second year in the league, kind of having a better understanding of the different teams, the the different coaching styles, you know, helps, you know, him set the game plan. And then also – you know, I think year two for our players and the expectations mm-hmm. um, and the understanding they have from our staff in terms of what we're really trying to get done from a defensive standpoint and trying to take stuff away. Um, you know, but, you know, more than any of that, um, it's about the Johnnies and the Joes in the locker room <laughs> because, you know, we could be the best coaches, you know, with the greatest game plans in the world, but you got to have some dudes on the floor that can execute that. And, um, you know, I believe that we have assembled a really highly competitive group that, 
you know, can guard out in space on the perimeter, which was something that we really focused on, you know, coming into the season, um, you know, defending the three point line uh, was another area that we really felt focused on. And then also, you know, just just being able to get better um, post defense. And so, you know, I think our length, our, our, our understanding of the game, it just really has has all kind of fell into place at the right time for us. But, you know, it's the guys in the locker room who are, who are um, carrying out, you know, those, those details that we're asking them of. Saudi, I, I see you as a head coach at a major program very, very soon. I'm not talking about just D1, a really good program. You've paid your dues. I would be curious, what is one thing that you learned from John Beeline? One thing from Phil Martelli? And one thing from Juwan Howard that you are going to use and be a better head coach because of. Wow. You know, that's a great question. Um, You know, from coach Beeline, he is like the master CEO, like from day to day, the planning and preparation uh, is, is parallel to none. Like his attention to detail um, is incredible, which lends to the success that he's had over you know, his coaching career. Uh, so that's the biggest, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from him. Um, with coach Juwan, I think he has those very similar qualities, but I think where he, where I take away from here is, is his ability to just connect with people. Um, it's incredible, you know, to see him and, you know, I mean, you could say it's easy because he's Juwan Howard, you know, but, Mm -hmm but he's really a very authentic, genuine person. And, you know, you can see it in recruiting. You can see it within our program uh, with our players, but you could also see it, you know, within our staff, you know, with the managers. I mean, it's just something that people are drawn to him and his ability to, to connect with people is, is, is high level. And then coach Phil, man, he's like the ultimate ambassador. Like, Coach Phil has stories for days. You you haven't met you haven't met a person in this game who doesn't know, hasn't said something high level about Coach Phil. So, you know, he's been great in terms of, you know, just just keeping an eye on the bigger lens and saying, Hey, you know, if you guys ever get your shot, you know, a lot of times he's talking to, you know, myself, H, you know, Chris Hunter, uh, Jeronson, you know, the younger guys on the staff and just say, Hey, if you guys ever get your shot, you know, these are some things that, that, that you can think of. So he's just a wealth of knowledge. Um, and, and he's really been fun and to be around. And I, you know, the other thing takeaway I would say from him is, you know, this guy's had a tremendous amount of success, but you would never know that he has been what you wouldn't know by an ego perspective that he's been a head coach for over 20 something years, because, um, he has this all in attitude where, you know, he he's about, you know, giving and hitting the ground running. So that's what makes it fun, you know, to be on a staff with a guy like Phil Martelli. You know, I want to piggyback on that answer. Yeah, I want to great. Yeah. Piggyback on that that question and throw in a couple of other really successful coaches that you cut your teeth coaching with Nate Oates, who's mm-hmm. obviously, at, you know, top 10 program at Alabama now uh, back yeah. in the Romulus days. And then obviously uh, Greg Campy over at Oakland. What did you take from them? 
You know what? With with Nate, I mean, Nate gave me my first job. So you know, it's I always kid people when they when they start my my coaching timeline at Oakland. I remind them you got to go back, you know, a little bit farther to Nate Oates and the opportunity he gave me at Oakland. But Nate has always been and, and Campy, like they've always been really two intelligent, offensive minded guys. You know, in terms of their creativity, their their ability to you know, open things up and let their players play. And so I think that both of those are strengths of both Nate and Camping. One of the um, the most important things that Michigan has done well this year is use the big man. And you were the big man coach with John Teske and Mo Wagner and DJ Wilson. The last three games, Hunter Dickinson has been double and triple teamed. Um, from From your perspective, what what can you do to make things easier? How do you how do you um, I know that Juwan works with him primarily now, but mm-hmm. what have you seen from Hunter and what can we see moving forward? Man, I think Hunter has done an incredible job of just um, learning and being humble enough to learn from Coach Juwan, but even more so from from Austin Davis. You know, Austin Davis would kick his butt, you know, when they first got here. <laughs> And uh, I think, you know, for many young guys, especially, you know, coming into college, it could be a humbling experience. But, um, you know, Hunter stayed the course. And as a result, he's had a tremendous uh, season thus far in his in his freshman campaign. And actually, you know, uh, we tell him, hey, big fella, that's a sign of respect when they're doubling you, because, you know, when you look across the league and, and, and his and his counterparts in the league who are getting doubled night in and night out as well, those are some Big Ten caliber guys. And so, you know, what we can do as a team better is continue to shoot the ball from the perimeter at a high level, which, you know, will now kind of force teams to pick their poison. Are they going to double off of, of our uh, of our shooters and, and, and leave them open? Or are you going to allow our big man to go one-on-one and, you know, be and cause some problems there. So it's really kind of pick your poison. When uh, when we were watching Franz Wagner against Purdue, um, it was really fascinating to both Sam and I uh, when he, he had a little bit of an emotional outburst. And that's the way he plays. And that's one mm-hmm. of his advantages. Uh, we were talking a little bit about all of the, the, the anxiety that the players have felt over the last year because of isolation and social injustice and racial inequality. And just I mean, there's just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how, as a coach, you handle some of those challenges? And it was just, it was beautiful the way that, that Juwan handled Franz in that game. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that part of the game? You know, I, I think that's, again, what I spoke to earlier, just the way Juwan is able to connect with people and players. And we spent a lot of time in the off season, you know, dealing with all those issues you just mentioned. And it's, it's, it's in those moments when you really get to um, have some honest and open dialogue with the people in your family. And we call, you know, we call our Michigan basketball program, you know, extension of our family. It it allows people to um, see you and feel you in a different way. And so now fast forward, when we get to the season, you know, when somebody confronts you or gets up in your face or puts an arm around you and say, look, man, you know, reel it back in. It's easier for 
our players to do that because they know it's coming from a, a, um, a position of care. You know, when you when you know somebody cares about you, then you're you're more willing to, you know, go all out for them. And so it's funny that you mentioned that about Franz because somebody else mentioned it recently. And I, I really don't remember that part of the game too much. But, um, you know, Franz is, is a passionate kid. He, he loves to play this game as 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 do all of our other players. And, um, yeah, you're going to have some frustrating moments and frustrating nights. But, you know, if if as if you if you if you can't let that go and get on to the next play, you know, that's, that's a skill, you know, of great players. And, you know, fortunately for us, he was able to kind of, you know, move past that and finish the game pretty strong. And, you know, we're going to need a lot of great nights from him uh, moving forward, you know, as we roll through the rest of this season. And you said something earlier, Sadi, you said, Hey man, you come up with best game plan in the world, best scouts in the world. Uh, it it comes down to the Jimmies and the Joes. You got to have the ball players that can go out yep. there and get it done. And you guys continue to do that, whether it's on the recruiting trail or in the transfer portal. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up that, you know, as, as well as you guys have done on the recruiting trail, you set a new bar with this latest class that you guys just signed. Uh, you know, with yeah. Javon's leadership, it's the number one recruiting class in the country. And according to the rankings on our site, I don't know how much you pay attention to rankings. You probably don't. But you are the number one recruiter in the country. Now, I know you won't take sole credit for that. But I am curious about the ingredients, the ingredients that you see in assembling this class, assembling a number one class with five-star prospects when you couldn't get them on campus. To, to yep. for for official visits, right? When Jawan had only been on the job for one year, he didn't have a, a a tournament resume to to show them for people who question that kind of thing. What was the the build up? What led to you guys being able to assemble a class like this? Well, I mean, I, I guess I'll start, you know, from day one when Coach Jawan brought the staff in and said, "Look, you know, in order for this to work, we all got to put our egos aside." You know, and the moment he said that, it was like, okay, you know, it's all hands on deck. And that's really how we go about our day to day business. So, um, you know, I always tell folks it's one, it's easy to recruit to the University of Michigan because it is the University of Michigan. There's no greater blend of academic and athletic, athletic, academic or athletics anywhere in the country. And then two, it's easy to recruit two and four, Jawan Howard. <laughs> so, you know, you got two major things working in your, in your, in your hand when you make a call to a kid or a coach. And really like the way we did it this year, it was like, it was a community effort. And so I don't, you know, really get into and know how they, you know, identify isolated coaches and this, that, and the other. But the way that we look at it as a, as a staff, it was like, we recruited this, these kids, you know, to the University of Michigan, because, you know, it really got to a point where at, on any given day, you know, Coach Jawan was calling a guy, Phil was calling a guy, I was calling the guy, H was calling the guy. And so it really became a community effort in terms of us recruiting each of the, the individual kids which assembled this class. And so we're really proud of the fact that, you know, the guys we got in place, um, they're good kids. Um, they fit needs that we have moving forward, um, and we're just excited about you know them 
their contributions as a student athlete that they're going to bring to the University of Michigan. Yeah, I'm curious, and we can do this in rapid fire. I'm not asking you to give like a NBA scouting report on each guy, but if you can highlight the strengths of of what they will add to the as far as skill set is concerned, what they will add to the roster. And I'll just say the name and you just give me a few words on what you think each will bring to the table, starting with Caleb Houston. With Caleb, you know, he's the ultimate competitor. Um, a lot of people talk about his shooting ability, which is is big time when, you, when you're talking about um, the potential of losing guys like um, Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner, you know, and, and, and others. Uh, moving forward, but you always got to have guys who can shoot the ball from the perimeter. But, you know, what we what we really saw in Caleb was a lot of the stuff that he does with with Team Canada and his passing ability and his ability to play with the ball in his hand. So, you know, we're excited about that. And, you know, being six, eight, you know, that length is, is going to be uh, very valuable here in our program. Musa Giabate. Musa, man, that kid is like the energizer, buddy. When you see him play, his motor uh, doesn't stop running. You know, a great athlete. He's kind of those that that hybrid big. You know, the 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 um, Bam out of bio type. You know, and and um, really excited about. You know, he's a really high IQ basketball kid. Like just talking to him, you know, on the phone throughout the recruiting process, he blew our staff away with with just his knowledge uh, in, of hit in the history of the game. So um, really excited about him as well. Kobe Bufkin. Kobe, man, Kobe, you know, in-state kid, you know, here from the, from the state of Michigan, really versatile. Uh, uh, his versatility, I think, is his strength right now. Um, he's even developed, you know, uh, I'm on his head all, all the time about, you know, being a two-way defender. Actually, that was a must you know, with all of those guys. So I think they're all bringing that to the table. But um, his ability to score on and off the ball um, and use his length and athleticism out there on perimeters is going to be a valued piece for us as well. Frankie Collins. You said Frankie? Frankie. Frankie. Frankie, yeah. No, Frankie, man, he's like, he's got that quick twitch, you know, sneaky bounce, you know, will, will rise up over the top of you if you're not careful. Um, you know, his ability to get downhill, manage a team, you know, make guys better, um, his playmaking abilities in the ball screen, you know, all those things are, are, are going to be a value asset for us uh, from that point guard position. Yeah, one of the intriguing guys, Tim and I talked a lot about Isaiah Barnes. He just really seems mm-hmm. like full of upside. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he, you're right about that. Uh, again, his length, um, his athleticism is off the charts. Um, you know, I, I think that one of those things that, you know, he's even tapping into just his ability to to shoot and score, you know, from the perimeter and, and handling the ball and getting downhill and using his length and athleticism there. So and I, I would say this is easily the most athletic um, class that we've brought in since I've been here in the last five years. And, um, you know, Isaiah is, is really, you know, going to land a lot to that class from that perspective. And the last member, Will Cheddar. <laughs> Will Cheddar, man, this kid is, you know, we're excited about him. A lot of folks, you know, don't know about Will, haven't seen Will, but, 
you know, this guy is the ultimate workhorse. I mean, he's up at six every morning, you know, uh, working out and then late into the evening. You know, him being a football guy, you know, he, he brings that physicality, you know, that IQ. Uh, and so we felt really good that we that we really kind of hit, you know, from the from a perimeter, from a post, from a wing perspective, all meeting all of our needs. And each one of these guys uh, brings something different in terms of their skill set, but at the same time, they, their, their attitude and their willingness to be a great teammate, I think is what is going to be the biggest thing that makes this class special. Sorry, I feel bad that we've kept you so long, but we know you've got <laughs> nothing else to do. So, <laughs> so we're going to hang a little bit more. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about um, Mike Smith and Shondi Brown. Mm-hmm. They, they have been close to seamless in terms of their transition um how did you integrate players from different programs into your team and because of the success of that can you see the transfer portal being a a big key for michigan's future well i I think that um you know when you're going through the recruiting process and you're trying to identify young men um and how they fit into your uh, program obviously and definitely cannot stop with what they bring from an on-court perspective. Um, These guys are older guys, veteran guys, extremely successful at their former programs, but it was their willingness to sacrifice a little bit of themselves for the greater good of the team. And um, the awesome thing with both of them is that, you know, they, they're highly skilled, have started, you know, with, with Mike, you know, he had a lot of success uh, uh, at Columbia. And now here he's understanding like, hey, man, I got some really good pieces around me. So I don't have to carry as much of the scoring load as I probably had in the past. And I can really, um, really just buy into being a playmaker. And, you know, the thing I'm probably most proud of Mike is he's really um tried to buy into the defensive side of the ball. And he's really been good for us there with Shondi. Um, this kid is like, he's like the energizer bunny. Like he, uh, he's an energy giver. And um, the, the amount, the, the, the way that he's been able to impact the game on both sides of the ball through his perimeter shooting. Uh, and obviously on the defensive side of the ball, all those things have helped us um, get to where we're at this season. Great. Final question for me. Um, your daughter, Sydney, is an elite gymnast going to pit on a scholarship, and Caleb is a rising star. A lot of parents listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, what advice would, would you give them as somebody that you know sees the early part with the kids and then when they actually transition to being college athletes? What advice do you have for parents in terms of raising and, and coaching and helping their kids? You know, I, I, I think as a parent of, of two young athletes, you got to just let them be kids. You know, at the end of the day, um, you know, their path will be their path. And, you know, we just have to be there as parents to support them in any way that they can. And, you know, depending on um, if all the kids are in the same sport and they're in their or if if they're in different sport, understanding that, you know, that light may click on for each one of them at a different time. And so, uh, you know, when my daughter 
you know, she's kind of a natural athlete. And, you know, from day one, bouncing around the house as a three-year-old going to gymnastics classes, you know, we knew she was on to something there. And so we're very happy. My wife and I are very excited for her. You know, we're all into, you know, hail to Pitt, uh, Pitt Panther parents. So we got our gear, we got our flag out in the front yard. And so we're going to be locked into to what's going on in Pittsburgh. And then with Caleb, you know, he's just, you know, that kid, he, he's just an awesome kid. He works hard on his game. We've been able to, you know, get in the gym a little bit more. He and I and spent some time trying to develop his craft. So, you know, I'm excited to, you know, where things take him. And, and um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm just, we're just parents. We're mom and dad here. And, um, you know, they're going to be successful, you know, in life, whether it's athletically, academically, socially, spiritually, you know, that's that's our main goal as parents. Last one for me, Sadi, is has to do with the other program in the building, man. You guys aren't the only Michigan basketball team off to an <laughs> outstanding start. I mean, it's the best start in program history for the Michigan women's basketball team. They have one of the best players in the country who happens to be a post player in Nas Hillman coming off a program record 50 points. And I wonder what the vibe is like just over in the in the facility, man, in the in the office. And that energy, you guys have to be feeding off of one another. Is there like a friendly rivalry even even that goes on when two teams, two programs are going as well as the Michigan men's and women's basketball programs are going right now? Listen, the William Davidson player development center is the is the hot spot right now and when you got two programs competing and excelling at a high level um it's incredible you know i think that kim and her staff are doing it, uh, an unbelievable job over there with their crew uh, we're constantly supporting one another and it's funny because um after Nas, I think we were in Purdue. Yeah, it was Purdue. All these days start blending together. But, you know, after Nas popped off for 50, uh, obviously, you know, they didn't get the dub and, and it was frustrating. But I think they must have been on the way home. I don't know if they were on the bus, but Brandon Johns was like on FaceTime with Nas and like, we're all like gassing her up because <laughs> it was like, yo, you, know, you understand what you just did? Like that was major. And, you know, in true, in true Nas form, like she was, she was thankful, but you know, obviously she would have rather had to, had to win, but um, it's exciting. It's exciting, you know, to see both programs um, competing at a high level. And, you know, we just pray that uh, we'll get the green light to get back, to get, back to doing what we both love and 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 doing it at a high level. Yeah, everyone was gassing Nas up. She got a message from LeBron on that 50 spot <laughs> that, she, that she put up. That's big time, man. When you, when you pass Cassie Russell and Rudy Tomjanovich for a score, you're doing something that she definitely did. And you did us a solid today, Sadi. You went overtime with us. I know I appreciate it, Tim. I know you do as well. Thanks, Coach. And hang in there. It's going to be a a quick process to get you back up against Illinois. And no worries, no worries, man. We're all team players on this side, and you know, you, you, it's funny you were talking about Illinois. I was in my Illinois film when you, when, when you guys called, so uh, I guess I'll get back to work and uh, I'll get ready, so I don't have to. I'll stay ready, so I don't have to get ready. There you all go. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, Adi. All right, take care. Go blue. Wow, Tim, that was uh, <laughs> it. Was the longest interview we. 
we did and, and we wouldn't have been able to do it. You talked earlier in the show and said, you know, you you have a situation, you got to make the best of it. And we just did that with that interview with Saudi. Man, great insight, depth on players, on philosophy, on parenting. We got it all there with Saudi. Yeah, I always believe more Saudi, less us is a good thing. I um, I first met Saudi like you when he was at Western Michigan. People don't realize he's one of the best guards in MAC history. Definitely one of the top Western Michigan Broncos, and he has been so well schooled. I was glad you brought up Nate Oates at Romulus High School and Greg Campy. Um, gives such great responsibility to his coaches, and then to be under John Beeline and. And I was convinced at that point that Michigan was going to lose Saudi, that he was going to get, you know, like a Mac level job. I thought that he might be a candidate for the Western Michigan. And he's always felt like I've got more to learn because when, when he goes to the big time, he wants to be ready to hit it. And, and I, I can see him not just getting a, you know, a good D one job. I could see him getting a big time program um, a high power conference school because he has been mentored. He's ready to go and he's got a great basketball mind. And it's really, it should be no surprise for us when we watch how good Michigan has been because they, they might have the best coaching staff in all of college basketball. Uh, it's certainly one of the best. And it's a great point. I mean, Saudi was a candidate for, for Western Michigan. It's his alma mater. Uh, but I, I think Michigan has put itself in a position, both with how it pays its assistance uh, the the resources that the program has. And then a, a guy like Jawan Howard, that other coaches just want to work with and for. Uh, you know, I think all of those things combined with you brought up his family. Uh, you know, his, his, his kids are at an age where, you know, it's, it's great to have a little more stability to, to season himself a little bit more. And I do think exactly, I agree with you 100%. I think that Saudi Washington's job his first uh, head coaching job is going to be a high major job. I think he's gotten high major training. He's shown you he can recruit. He has the tech, the technical acumen. He can engage with, uh, you know, with the crowd, with the community, with the alums. He has all the ingredients to be an outstanding head coach. And I think he's going to skip the level that a lot of other coaches cut their teeth at because of that foundation that's been laid for him as an assistant coach. He gave us a lot today, and and I'm grateful, and and makes me even more excited to get the Michigan basketball program back at work. Absolutely. Well, with that, folks, we are going to pause or or end this week's episode. But we'll don't be back. Say pause. Yeah, don't, don't say pause. Don't You're right. You're right. Now we won't pause. We will we will conclude this week's episode, and we'll come back. We know that you know there won't be any games that we'll be talking about next week, but there's a lot still to cover as Michigan prepares to retake the court. So we'll be back to talk about it next week here on the Michigan Basketball Insider.